Pentecost Sunday, but uh, Sunday is a reference to the worship to the Son of God, so we'll just call it the day of Pentecost. Is that all right with everybody? Good. <laughs> Praise God. God is so good. Amen. Amen. You know, the, uh, the interesting thing to me about the day of Pentecost, or uh, again, what we as Apostolic Pentecostals call Pentecost Sunday, is it wasn't the Pentecostals of 120 years ago that preserved this day. It wasn't the Pentecostals of the circa 1940s, 1950s uh, that began the great organization, United Pentecostal Church. It was none of those folks that preserved this day. It was not the great organization circa 1950s that Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ that preserved this day. It was no apostolic. It was no Assembly of God. It was no PAW. It was no Cool JC. It was no charismatic. It was no spiritual group at all that preserved this day. You know, we call ourselves Pentecostal, and yet we have no idea what Pentecost is. Pentecostals think it was when everybody got the Holy Ghost. Well, that's true. In the Acts chapter 2 book, right? Uh -huh. yeah. right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about when yes. I say Acts chapter 2? Yes. Any apostolics in here? Okay. Uh -huh. A couple of you. A couple of you. We're not going to read Acts chapter 2 today. <gasps> the sacrilege! He's not going to read Acts 238 on Pentecost Sunday! <laughs> nope. Because I'm a stick in the mud, and I just like doing things different. There's a righteous stubbornness inside of me that says, I'm not going to just go with the status quo. But what I will say this, it was the more traditional churches. It was the more traditional churches that calculated by a false formula, even though about 90% of the time it works out right. But they calculated by a false formula, an old pagan formula, how to find Resurrection Sunday. Okay, everybody with me? Yeah. Now, I don't like using the word Easter, as most of you know. Uh, that is a pagan name. It's uh, the name of a pagan goddess. And uh, we don't call it Easter Sunday. We call it Resurrection Amen. Uh, Day. Amen. Amen. The Day of Resurrection. So, you know, if you wonder why I don't, it's because, again, I'm stubborn. And I don't want to give the devil his props. Amen. I know all of Christianity does it, but this guy doesn't. Okay, Amen. you know I don't do it because I don't. Uh, I, I listen to the Word of God that says, "Don't let the names of these pagan gods into your mouth." Yes, right. Amen. And the only time I do it is if I'm given instruction in it to let you know not to say it. <laughs> now we're not going to list a bunch of swear words that you can't say. All right, so don't worry. All right, but they, uh, the traditional churches, through a pagan formula, figured out the day of resurrection. All they had to do was read the Word of God, and they could have they could have understood how to achieve that. But uh, we're, we don't live in Israel. Uh, we don't celebrate Jerusalem. We're not Jewish, okay? And because of a lot of these reasons, we just have let a lot of old understandings and a lot of power of God slip us by so that we think, unfortunately, in these modern Christian days, that the only thing there is to know about Pentecost is that that's when people spoke in tongues. Well, if that's the only thing we're known by, then we're a bunch of crazy fools. Hmm. Right. You think about that for a minute. A bunch of people that, if, if you knew a group of people and you went into their group and, and all they did was sit around 
uh, rubbing beads, uh, dominating back and forth and saying some nonsense mantra, would you stay very long? No. I wouldn't. Uh, you know, uh, ham and cheese on an egg sandwich, you know. Uh, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what the mantra is because they don't know what any of those words mean, right? Bapa doopa deepa dapa do, bapa deepa dapa do, turn this drum over here, smack on this symbol here. You know, what does it all mean? They don't even tell you. Oh, it's, uh, that's to align your spirit with the universe, or uh, that's the hint on it. Honestly, I'm not trying to make fun of other religions, but honestly, every religion has a bunch of stupid stuff in it. You know why? Because the devil likes making fools out of us. And so what does he want to do with the power of God? He wants to bring the power of God down to a level where we're just a bunch of fools. So that people think all we are is just a bunch of... That's all. What's that? Well, what is that going to do for anybody? Even Paul says, I'd rather you speak five words, or I'd rather speak five words in a known tongue than 10,000 in an unknown tongue if it's going to edify the church. Right. But he finishes that uh, passage by saying, forbid not any to speak in tongues. It's a good thing. It's a sign. But what is it all about? I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Praise God. Here we are on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we don't have any Arabians here. We don't have any Scythians here. We don't have any Parthians here. We don't... Okay, we don't have any Elamites or Greeks or Romans. But uh, we're going to preach the Word of God anyway. Amen. Praise God. First Peter, uh, sorry, Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. Let's look, uh, well, why don't we just start right off in verse number 1. This is the second letter of Peter. Chapter 1, verse number 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our Savior and our Savior Jesus Christ. Praise God. So, is Peter talking to anybody in this room? Amen. Yep. Okay. There's some of you that weren't real confident on that point. Let me read it again. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Is Peter talking to anybody in this room? Yes. Praise God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I was hoping he was. Because we're going to keep reading. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power. Everybody say divine power. Divine Divine power. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things all things. Somebody say that too. All, all things. things. All things. All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. Now you've all probably heard this statement before in the past. Brother Good likes this, but I, I, uh, I, I had heard this statement many years ago, so I didn't borrow this from Brother Good. Uh, Brother Paul Brissett used to always like to say this to his pastor. So somewhere years ago, someone came up with this statement, and it's and it's really clever. It says, if you're all word, you dry up. If you're all spirit, you'll blow up. If you're spirit and truth, you grow up. 
right? Let me just reverse that because it's better for the rhyme. All spirit, you'll blow up. All word, you'll dry up. Spirit and truth, you'll grow up. All right? Do we know that? John chapter 4. Should we read John chapter 4? No, we're not going to do that right now. But a lot of people, whether you call them conservative, liberal, left, right, you know, easygoing, hard-nosed, whatever you want to call it, okay? There's always extremes in life. And most of the time, if we're not careful, we will fall into one camp or another, or we will identify more in one camp than the other. A lot of people call themselves moderates or well-balanced, or you know, but most of the time, even those people will fall into one camp or another. You know what it is to me, how you can find out if someone's conservative or liberal in the today's political climate? You know what one question you can ask to find out? Who are you willing to kill? Sometimes it just comes down to that. Are you willing to kill unborn babies? Or are you willing to kill criminals? Because it seems like both groups are willing to kill somebody. One group over here says you've got to reduce the world's population. This group over here says uh, uh, anybody that messes up needs to just go away. So these guys over here on the right, my right, your left, these guys over here say anybody that gets out of line of my ideals, we need to just clip them. That's it. You're done. In one way or another, put them in jail, fine them, kill them, send them out of the country. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Over here... Let's just let all those guys go and try to reform them. But it's okay to kill populations. It's okay to reduce populations. It's okay to mess with people's fertility. It's okay to mess with people's basic human rights. It's okay to kill unborn babies because they say they're not real human beings anyway. See what I'm saying? Yep. It's really all about death to me. Which side do you want? Who are you willing to kill? And then you've got the people that say, oh, I'm not willing to kill anybody. Okay, then who are you willing to let die? Are you on the side of the people killing criminals? Or anybody that steps out of your line? This, this is what religions have been doing for thousands of years. Anybody not their religion, kill them. Kill them. Is that the heart of God? Well, yeah, God killed all kinds of people in the Old Testament. He killed all kinds of people in the Old Testament tried to oppose him. Tried to oppose him and failed. Everybody with me? Yeah. Okay? But God is merciful. He's not willing for any to perish, but that all come to repentance. If we're so busy trying to kill folks, we're never going to preach the word of God to them. Right? And over here, people are trying to powder puff people into into righteousness, and well, that won't work either. If we don't tell people a straightforward news, they're not going to get saved either. Right. Praise God. We can't be so nice to people not to tell them the truth, and we can't be so harsh to people that, that they don't get a chance to hear the truth. Right. So there really does have to be a balance. Yeah. And, and how does that work? Well, it seems like people that love the Word and really are getting into the Word, they, they seem to fall into that conservative camp. And people that really love the Spirit and things of the Spirit, they generally fall into that liberal camp, right? Mm -hmm. Liberal's all right. just means open-minded. As long as you're open-minded to God, 
Conservatives are right as long as you're conserving and, and, and honoring the old truths of the Word of God, right? Amen. Praise God. We've got to have them both together. Yeah. I mean, you can talk about the political arena all you want. We don't, that doesn't matter. That's just a gross distortion of truth. Right. Amen. We don't need to get into their parties. We need to get into the spirit of truth. So Jesus tells the woman at the well very clearly, we need to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. If you're one that falls into one camp or another, if you like all spirit, but you're not reading the Word of God, you're going to be in trouble, buddy. Right. Listen to this. According as His divine power, that's the Spirit, that's the Holy Ghost, have given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That sounds good, right? Anybody like any of that? Yeah. I know I do. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us into glory and virtue. That's the Word. So he's saying, listen, I'm giving out divine power, but you're only really going to be able to use it right with the Word. Some people think they don't have to read this thing and get it down and get it into them and understand it. Some people think, I've already read that. I don't need to read it again. This is a limitless, depthless Word of God. Right. It's not like other books. You could read it six billion times and still learn new truths. The six billionth and first time you read it. Right. Amen. Amen. Everybody with me? Yes. So th th this is there's no there's no a cop out here today. Listen, we need to get this thing in us constantly. Eat it. Eat it. Eat it. Right. Eat it. Eat right. it. Eat food every day, right? Yes. And it's funny to me that people say I already read that Bible. I need to read anymore. Uh, they usually had breakfast the day they said that. Right. We understand naturally that we need to keep eating. To stay alive, but we don't realize we need to keep reading. Right, right. Yes. Praise God. And the same with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come on, let's turn over to Titus. This is well, one of my favorite passages. It's it's been going through my head so often these days. Book of Titus. Paul lays down some things to his son in the Lord. Very important things. Put them in my he's talking to how you teach me. He's telling Titus. I need you to teach these hardheads over in Crete uh, how to do things right. They're a bunch of Cretans, literally. And th these guys are, are tough-minded dudes, and you really got to pound them over the head in order to get through it. So he says, I want you to put them in mind to be subject to principalities, powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to do every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts, and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's nobody in this room, right? No. I hope not. Praise God. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost by the washing, hallelujah, by rewashing us, by regenerating us, by changing our DNA into His DNA every day. Right. Praise God. And I'm talking spiritual DNA, of course. But constantly regenerating us, making us into His image, and renewing the Holy Ghost in us every day. And we're not just talking about babbling in tongues for a few minutes. We're talking about getting into the Spirit. I guarantee you, you will speak in tongues, but it's not about the speaking in tongues. 
That's what happens as the sign. That's what happens. You know, when, when we think thoughts, energy leaves our heads. You understand that? But our thoughts are not in the physical realm. Our thoughts are in the soul realm. We're, 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 we don't think on this plane. We think above this plane, and yet there is a physical counterpart. Light literally exits our brain. Thought waves. They're waves on the electromagnetic spectrum. And I know some of you hate it when I get talking about that stuff. That's all right. You, you, you can still be saved. Praise God. Amen. That was a little joke, but you didn't get it. Anyway, let's move on. Praise God. You know, when we have emotions, emotions don't live in the physical world. Emotions live in the soul realm. They can be utilized by the spirit and the flesh both. If it's used by the flesh, it's always going to go wrong. If it's used by the spirit, the spirit of God, it's going to go right. Everybody with me? Amen. But every single emotion we have has a chemical counterpart in your brain. Your brain is a chemical factory. And every emotion you, uh, you experience, there is a chemical being released into your physical system. And some of these chem chemicals are addictive. And some of these chemicals are poisonous. If we're too angry, if we're angry without a cause, there are chemicals released into your body that will poison your system. If you're bitter, if you have a root of bitterness, if you're unforgiving, the, all these negative, biting emotions let poisons into your system. And if you stay in that realm for too many years, some a lot of times you will get sicknesses in your body, including things like cancer. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen, folks. And if, if this scares you, let it scare you to get a root of bitterness out of you. Right. Amen. Amen. Okay? Yep. We, need, we need to have the righteousness of God in the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. The kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, or rather physical things, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hey, listen, even God has righteous anger. Right. Even God has righteous wrath. He has righteous indignation. And He is called jealous. So even God Almighty Himself experiences negative emotions, but He knows how to deal with them the right way. And even His negative, what we would call negative emotions, are righteous because they come from God. Right. And we've got to learn how to do that. We've got to learn how to do what Paul said. Be angry, but don't sin with it. And don't let yourself be mad all day long and let the sun go down and you're still mad. Right. Learn how to take care of it. Jesus said, don't be angry without a cause. Tell your brother, you will be in danger of the judgment. Right. Hallelujah. Anybody okay with some preaching today? Amen. Yeah. Praise yeah. God. Let me read it again. Titus 3.5 Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to turn back to, uh, to Second Peter here. According as His divine power, Spirit, hath given us all things that pertain to life and uh, godliness through knowledge, word of Him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Praise God. Let's take a praise break here. Lord God, I thank you for saving us through the corruption which is in the world through lust. Lord God, I thank you for saving us by the washing of regeneration. 
and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Lord God, implanted into our hearts and minds. Now you have great promises for us. Lord God, that you have divine nature for us. Lord God, that you have word knowledge of Jesus Christ for us. Lord God, if we put these things together, Lord God, we will never lack, oh God. And we'll never stumble, oh God. Hallelujah, Lord God, but we will be able to partake of all life and all godliness through these promises. And I thank you for these promises. I thank you for the access. We're talking about divine nature, folks. We're talking about divine nature. We're not just talking about some Pentecostal-ism when we speak in tongues. Oh, we're trying to get someone else to speak in tongues. Listen, it is the sign. It is the sign of God filling a life. We're not preaching against that. It is the sign that God chose. It is the breath sign. When our newborns come out of the womb, they cry. When a newborn gets filled with the Holy Ghost, they speak in tongues. It is a shadow and a pattern. One matches the other. Praise God. Even as the Spirit of the living God came down upon the day of Pentecost, it came down on the original Pentecost. Everybody with me? In Exodus chapter 19, the Lord said, I want you to go up to this mountain. I want you to get close to this mountain. And this is how I want you to do it. I want everybody to prepare. On the third day, this is what's going to happen. They heard all kinds of noise. They heard a trumpet blast that did not diminish in strength, but only gained in strength. Uh, They they saw fire. They felt rumbling and quaking. And there there was smoke in there. They were all afraid, but the Lord is saying, come up closer, come up closer. And when they got close enough, they heard a voice come out of heaven that began to say, I am the God that brought you up out of Egypt and saved you from the house of bondage. And He began to tell them all kinds of stuff. We usually relegate it down to do's and don'ts, but that's not the God I serve. What He's saying is, This is my divine nature. I am doing a miracle in front of you today. I'm making fire where naturally there would be no fire. I'm making noise, even the sound of a trumpet, when there's nobody blowing a trumpet except for maybe an angel. I'm I'm giving you a supernatural voice that comes disembodied from the heavens to let you know this is divine nature. This is not nature. This is divine nature is a way to say supernatural. This is above our normal nature. Right, right. This is not your normal nature where you're eating and drinking, marrying, and giving in a marriage. None of those things being wrong. But it's the pursuit of such things. It's the hyper focus on such things. It's the pursuit of such things to the exclusion of all things God that God doesn't want for us. Right, right. When all we are is about just doing our thing. And just going through our life, getting getting what's ours. That's what bothers God. He's saying, I'm showing you by supernatural signs and wonders. This is what I do. And this is how I am. I'm not just giving you a bunch of rules. I'm showing you how I think. I'm showing you how I act. I'm showing you how I feel. Praise God. Does anybody want to know more about how God feels? Does anybody want to know more about how God feels? He already told us in the book of Isaiah that his thoughts are higher than ours. The idea in Hebrew there is it would be like trying to jump up and touch the moon. My goodness, I don't think I could even touch up and reach this light. Well, I can't. Okay. Didn't think I could. But, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Let's try for this one. No, but 
seriously, you know, sometimes we look out, we see these low-flying clouds, and we think, I can just reach up and touch them. We can't, though. And you don't have enough strength. I, I don't care who you are. You could be Jesse Owens, and you can't jump that high. Right? right. Come on. Right. That's, that's the idea. You don't have it within your power to reach up and take a hold of my thoughts. As high as the heaven or the sky is above the earth, so much higher my thoughts, right? In other words, you cannot build a ladder big enough. Oh, pastor, they built a rocket ship and they sent it to the moon, right? Okay, yeah, okay, well, we'll leave that one alone. But in your own natural human power, you do not have the ability to reach the sky. But if you understand, to an ant, this is the sky. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, a, it's a change in perception. Amen? Amen. Yes. It's learning how to see things God's way. It's not about how much bigger he is and how much better and how much more righteous and we're just dirty mites crawling around in the dust. That's not the God we serve. Right. That's not how he wants us to feel. He'll tell us things like that sometimes to put us back in our place when we've tried to overreach ourselves. When we've tried to be God instead of trying to be like God or attain under the perfection that God commands us to attain to. Everybody with me? Yep. It's all about perception. Some people just see a list of do's and don'ts. Why would God waste his time speaking out of the heavens to a bunch of stubborn people if all he wanted them to know is a bunch of do's and don'ts? No, he was giving them divine power, divine nature. He was giving them a chance. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Thank you, Jesus. How do we do that? By partaking of these precious promises, these exceeding great precious promises. We can be partakers of the divine nature. We're talking about a nature that comes from God. Right. I'm not going to ask you if you feel this way. I'm just going to be transparent. I'm tired of thinking human thoughts. Amen. I'm tired of feeling human emotions. I'm tired of getting disgusted when I see people doing well who aren't serving God. Listen, we don't need to waste our time with it. Anybody with me? Yeah. We don't need to waste our time with it. Amen. All you need to do is read Asaph. He said, my foot almost slipped. Why did his foot almost slip? Because he's paying so much attention to all the wicked people that were prospering in this world, but not serving God. And here I am, this poor schlub. And I'm working day in and day, in and day out. Do, trying to do the things of God. And i got to put up with this. And i got to put up with that. Why do I have to deal with this? And why, why can't I have the big black you know, Cadillac car? And why can't I have the nice ha house on the hill? And why can't I have this and that? And why can't everybody bow down to me and kiss my ring? Right? Well, I don't really think that way. But you know, that's the progression of thoughts, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. You start by thinking, why can't I have something better? Which means you don't appreciate what you have. Right? You're not thankful for what the Almighty God has given you. You're not remembering that uh, His servant said, if you have food and raiment,
Be content with what you have. That's all we need to get through this life. That's all we need, really. And I know there's a bunch of other things, but those are really the, the, the chapter headings. If you have enough to eat and you have clothes to wear, God's going to make everything else accessible. So that you can do His work. And that's what we're here to do. To do His work. You can't do His work without divine nature. And so what I'm trying to do here today, on this Pentecost Sunday, I'm trying to say, if you don't have the divine nature, then get the divine nature. That's great if you have tongues. But do you have divine nature? That's great if you were filled with the Holy Ghost. I was filled with the Holy Ghost 41 years ago. But I want to know if you were filled with the Holy Ghost today. I want to know if you are full of the Holy Ghost. I got in here Wednesday night and I started screaming and yelling at everybody like I'm doing right now because the Spirit of God came over me. He wouldn't even let me preach or teach rather what I had in my notes. And I'm, I'm feeling the same thing here. We're on the day of Pentecost. And I feel God saying the same thing. We need to be partakers of the divine nature. Yes. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. We need to be partakers of the divine nature because this lower nature ain't doing it. And just to prove that, Moses went up into the thick darkness. Nobody else wanted to go with him. They all just said, oh, you, you go talk to God. We don't like hearing His voice. So he did. He went up into that thick darkness because no one else wanted to go up there. God told him a bunch of things. God showed him some great things. God showed him some patterns. He showed him at least part of His glory. He told him things that He probably told no other human being. Except for maybe guys like Adam, maybe Enoch, Noah. But rare few individuals got to be hearing some of the things that Moses heard up on that mountain. And I wouldn't be surprised if there were some unique things God had never showed anybody. It's possible that Moses was transported on that mountain all the way into the future, onto the Mount of Transfiguration, and saw Jesus and Elijah glowing with supernatural light and learned about the whole purpose of what we're here for. That God was going to send His Spirit into human. Human body anyway. In order to pay for our sins. He was going to come down from heaven and pay for our sins because we just couldn't do it. It maybe gives us a little bit better understanding what Moses said. No, Lord! Don't destroy him. Don't destroy him, they're your people. Might give us a better understanding of why Moses said, Aaron, take the censer and run between the plague and the people. Because he had a heart of Jesus. He had possibly, I think, he had seen Jesus' heart upon that mountain. When he went up into that thick darkness and said, It's all about, it's, it's all about God's will. That we wouldn't even be here if God didn't want us to be. Praise God. And if God kills all His people, there won't be anybody to glorify God. Right. So go, stand before the plague and the people. And the plague was stopped. It wasn't because Aaron had a great idea. It's because Moses gave, gave him the commandment. I think he began to receive the heart of God. That no matter how stubborn these people are, that no matter how foolish they are, no matter how murmuring and complaining they are, they still need to be saved because they're God's people. Right. Because who else in the world is ever going to hear about the living God unless God moves through His people? Even the bad things. See, those, those nations all around, they knew God had brought them out of Egypt. 
They also knew they, they must have known they wandered around for 40 years, but you notice they never said that. They always say, God destroyed the Egyptians with these people. God brought them out of Egypt and Egypt was left destroyed. And now they're going to come up here and destroy us. You notice none of them said, oh, don't worry about them. God, God killed 23,000 of them in one day. It was a witness to the whole world of what God's all about. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 34. We'll do this as quickly as we can. I'm sorry. I'm saying 34. Uh, I think I'm mixing that up with it. Uh, uh, Exodus. Uh, turn to turn to Deuteronomy 16. Let's try that. Everybody okay? Yeah. Praise God. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Yeah. I'm going to look at verse number 9. Because there's a lot of good stuff here. The first part of this chapter. Verse number 9 says, Seven weeks thou shalt number unto thee. Be, uh, begin to number the seven weeks from such a time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn. Now, I understand some, some of you may not understand what this means. It's academic. It's a little bit boring. But, but bear with me for a couple of minutes. I won't over, overbear this, okay? It was the time of the harvest in the early spring. We call that Passover. During that time, there was a, a week of unleavened bread. And somewhere during that week was when our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. Praise God. In symbol of His death, He was crucified on Passover. In symbol of His righteous separation, He was buried as the Feast of Unleavened Bread began to come in. During that Feast of Unleavened Bread, as the first fruits offering. Uh, on the day, on the early, early morning, or, or even the evening before of that first fruits offering, he was risen from the dead on the day that they offered their barley harvest unto God. Now, the barley was, as all of us know, it, it's a grain. Okay, you can do all kinds of things with it. The, the biggest production of barley today is to make some sort of whiskey or beer. Okay, but some people around the world still eat barley and still make barley bread. But it's not, barley bread does not taste as good as wheat bread, okay? And it didn't in the old days either. Anybody have beef barley soup? Yeah. Okay. Uh, most of you here, that's probably the only time you've ever had barley, right? <laughs> right. You know? Uh, and, unless you had it in liquid form. All right. We, we won't ask any, uh, any testimonies on that, all right? But uh, barley is the cheaper, lower form grain, and yet it was still important. It could still uh, feed people. Um, I'm pretty sure all their beef was probably grass fed in those days. I don't know. But uh, uh, technically, I guess they could have uh, used the hay from the barley to feed their cattle, right? Sure. That there were plenty of uses for the barley, but that came up earlier in the spring. It was seven weeks. He said, by the time you start putting your sickle to the barley corn, corn is just a word that was general in English language 500 years ago. It comes from the same source as kernel. So kern and corn are basically the same thing. So any kind of grass plant that has kernels in it, okay? Everybody okay so far? Yeah. We just gave that general name to what was called maize. We call that corn now. You get it. Okay. It's all grains. It's all grass. It's all coming up. They use it. This one's not as good as wheat, but wheat takes a little longer to grow coming out of the winter. 
takes seven weeks longer. But God planned all this from the beginning. You know, and you got to wonder, why did God use these agricultural feasts? Was it just to keep his people happy? Was it just to preserve, you know, the, you know, before they go into winter, you know, have kind of a Thanksgiving thing or, or coming out of a long winter? You know, is it, not, you know, we can look at it very practically, but some people get caught up on that. And therefore, they just dismiss it because, well, after all, we have grocery stores to go to. We don't need to know about all that stuff. But if you think about it, globally speaking, in the, in the time frame of humans, from Adam all the way today, the days that we've been able to just go to a grocery store and buy our goods is a very small sliver of time. Right. You go back just a few decades, and you'll find most of the population was still getting most of their food out of their fields. And from the animals they raised in their own backyards. Mm. Right? Yep. You hear me? Yes. Okay, we're, we're living in a world now that, or especially in a country now, that we don't think about growing anything ourselves. And so we have really gotten divorced. I think that's just another trick of the devil to try to get us away because anytime we ever read something that Jesus is trying to tell us about agriculture, we have nothing to attach it to because we've never gotten our hands in the dirt. We've never put, put seed in the ground. We've never seen the miracle of life come up out of that ground. Why does it happen? Why does something dead that goes in the ground, why does it come up in a new life? It's because that's the way God designed it from the start to give us His own nature. To show this is my nature to take something dead and make it alive. Hallelujah! This is my desire to revive something that was dead into brand new life. But not a life that represents and resembles that old life, a life that I live. A person that starts thinking my thoughts and feeling my emotions and doing my actions, speaking my words. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I know this is kind of boring stuff, but you've got to understand, there's a lesson to learn. Why did Jesus get crucified on Passover? The day they killed him? Well, because he is the lamb that was slain. For the sins of all the world. Why did he go in at, at, at the second feast uh, burial? Why did he raise again associated with the third feast of that time? That first early period. And why did he wait all the way down to Pentecost to send the Holy Ghost? Couldn't he have sent it any time he wanted? He did send it when he wanted. Right. Why did he have to wait for the wheat harvest to send the Holy Ghost? Because it's never really been about a wheat harvest. It's been more about a crop of people coming unto new life. Right. It's about people that are having seeds planted. It's about people having the better part. It's about people uh, taking uh, uh, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ who was not ashamed to be condescended to, to Lowe's estate, right? He, he was not ashamed to come down and live in the body of a man in order to do this work. He took the lower part to show us how to do it. He took up his cross and then told us, you take up your cross too. Right. But with him, it was during a time of unleavened bread. There was no sin. And I'm going to read a passage in just a minute. But before we go there, I want to read just a couple more. In verse number 7, uh, in, sorry, in uh, Deuteronomy 16, verse 10, it says, And thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of a freewill offering of thy hand, which thou shalt give unto the Lord, according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter, and thy manservant, thy maidservant, and the Levite that is within thy gates, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, and all that are among you in the, in the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name. 
there. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt. And thou shalt observe and do these statutes. He's saying, listen, this is not just about you getting the new wave of food. It's not just about a new crop coming in. It's not just about controlling people here, have a holiday on, on this crop, and understand I'm the one that gave you. We're, we're, not, we're talk, not talking about the, the God series, okay, where we get our word cereal from, okay? We're not talking about the grain goddess, the God who, the goddess who gives crops. We're, we're, not, we're not comparing our God with that. Right. We're not comparing our God with Baal, who is the storm God, who is the bringer of rain, who is the bringer of lightning. But he is the God that rides upon the storm. Right. Amen. He's better than Baal. He's greater than Baal. He's not a pagan God. And he's not capricious. And he's not low-minded. And he doesn't cheat on his wife. Right. Like Zeus did. That's not the God we serve. Right. Okay, He's not just trying to compare himself to local uh, tribal gods. He's trying to say, I am the real God, the one true God. I'm not here just to give you something to eat naturally. I'm here to give you something to eat spiritually. I don't want you to just live by the bread that you shove in your gullet. I want you to live by the Word of God that comes out of my mouth. And it will come out every day. I want you to live by that. Hallelujah. Amen. Leviticus 23. Praise God. I'm, I'm really hitting some exciting numbers here today. But you bear with me. It'll be alright. Pretty soon, you guys are going to be able to go home. It's a beautifully hot day. Anybody like to eat? Anybody like summertime? Alright, come on closer up this way if you do, because it's hotter up here. Okay. But those of you guys that way in the back, if you can't hear me good enough because of those ACs, then do yourself a favor and get out of the back and come forward. If you're having a hard time hearing me. Because this is about as loud as I can go, alright? I can use a mic, I just don't like to. Hallelujah. Leviticus 23, I'm gonna I'm gonna look somewhere somewhere in verse 17. It says, You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour, they shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. Now Instead of reading you about a lot of academic passages here in Leviticus 23, let me just give you the lowdown on this. He's talking about the Feast of Weeks. Shavuot, a word that comes from Shavuot, which means week in Hebrew, okay? Not week like I'm weak. Uh, week like seven days, okay? Everybody okay? Yeah. Shavuot, or Shavuot, whatever dialect you're using, okay? And then out of that comes the plural, Shavuot, or Shavuot, again, Depending on your dialect, it means weeks. It's a solemn assembly after seven weeks. The word Pentecost focuses on 50 when the Hebrew word focuses on the weeks. See, the Gentile thought is to focus on the culmination. The Hebrew thought is to focus on the journey. Okay? It's the Feast of Weeks. They even call it the counting of the Omer, the time between the first fruits offering of barley and the first fruits offering of wheat. Both happen on the first day of the week, what in our culture we would call a Sunday. So the resurrection always happens on a Sunday. We always celebrate it on a Sunday. And the Feast of Pentecost, we also celebrate on a Sunday. Isn't it convenient that we go to church on Sundays? 
Some Christians have tried to say that that's the reason why we go to church on Sundays because Christ rose again on Sunday. No, these were in pattern long, long, long before at the, at the same time that the living God said, don't work on Sabbath. He never said go to church on Sabbath. He just said, work six days, don't work. Give that day to me, right? Everybody with me? The uh, traditional church said, we'll do one better. We'll go to church on the venerable day of the sun. So don't get all high and mighty about worshiping on Sunday, okay? Yeah. If God gave me the command, I'd switch it to Saturdays. He hasn't done that yet, so we're still here on a Sunday, all right? Mm -hmm. Praise yeah. God. Everybody okay so far? Amen. I told you I'm weird, I'm wild, I'm a stick in the mud, and I just ain't going to do it like everybody else. Praise God. And if that's wrong, Lord help It was during the Feast of Weeks. He said, I want you to bring two loaves, and I want you to wave them before the Lord. Now think about the process of making a loaf of bread. I know I've spoken this many times. Some of you are going, yeah, I know where he's going with this. If you do, praise God. Write it down in your notes again, and maybe you'll learn something. All right? You have to take the plant. You have to bind it together. You have to take an armload of wheat, and you have to go like this. And someone else comes with a cord, and it binds it together. Amen? Yeah. Anybody ever stood around in a circle? Yes. And saying, bind us together, Lord. Bind. Yeah, that's what we think of as binding. But in, in truth, that's what we're doing. We're making a circle with hands. Mm -hmm. And we're asking the Spirit to come along and wrap the cord around us. Amen. That's why every once in a while, and you know what? I think we'll probably do it today, too. Amen. That's why every once in a while, have everybody come up front. And we'll just pray with each other, right? Mm -hmm. we, we don't necessarily have to sing the song. Will the circle be unbroken? No, anyway. Uh, we don't have to sing the bind us together, Lord, all right? But we do reach our arms out. And we grab, grab a hold of just as much as we can get. As someone comes along, our silent partner, if you will, comes along with a cord, wraps it around there, and begins to bind the sheaves. And we'll go to the next bundle. We, we grab as big a bundle as we can, we bind it. Biggest bundle as we can, we bind it. And then there comes a guy with a big old knife. Big old sickle. And he begins to whack right at the base of this bundle. And then he throws it into a cart. Revelation chapter 14 it, it, uh, delivers some interesting pictures to us. Revelation 14 says... And here's the patience of Satan. I uh, heard the voice from heaven saying unto me, this verse 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord henceforth, yea, shall the Spirit, uh, yea, saith the Spirit, they, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Now, he, that's, that's not a nice thing to say, Lord. Come on, you're supposed to give us lots of comfort. Well, no, he is giving us comfort for the very next, the very next verse says, Start to sound like Joe Biden. Let's, let's do this right, okay? Uh, uh, verse 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hands a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat upon the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And he talks about another harvest after that. But 
We know because he's using that signal and the way uh, the angel is talking in the language there, he's talking about a wheat harvest earlier, and then later he's talking about a grape harvest, okay? So this is not in the early part of the year. It's in the latter part of the year when grapes and wheat come up together. I'm trying to bore you with details, but understand, this is what's happening. Thrust in that sickle. Someone comes along. Again, the work of the Holy Ghost comes along. Thrust in that sickle. Amen? Amen. And this thing gets lifted up off the earth. And then they take these bundles, they throw it in the back of a cart, and they wheel that over to the threshing floor, and they take big sticks or big flails or, you know, something heavy, and they knock the snot out of these things. Well, not snot, but they, they knock the wheat, the grain out of these things. And all that's left over is the threshing. They use that for other things. They take all that, they scoop up all that grain, they take it to another place. They take it to the winning one floor because there's all kinds of flakes and little pieces that you really don't want in your bread, right? And so they take it and they throw it up in the wind and there's either a big fan or they just throw it in the wind and all this stuff blows away and it, and it gets scooped up into the back of the barn and eventually they just burn all that stuff. So they got all this wonderful grain and then they take that to the miller and the miller grinds it into powder. And then they take that and they mix it with oil or water and they shape it into loaves. And then after all that abuse, they throw it in the fire. And only by going in the fire can it be an offering made acceptable unto God or unto man either one. So after that whole process from, and if you think about the growing process, it's a long process from wheat uh, grain before a loaf of bread can get to our table, right? right. We don't really think about those things. We go to the store and say, that looks like a good loaf of bread. Mm. That only costs one sixty-nine. Let's get that. And it's already sliced. Yep. Ever heard the expression, greatest things to sliced bread? Mm -hmm. Isn't that great? You know, you go to the supermarket, it's already prepackaged in plastic, it's already sliced for you. How wonderful. We got our choices white bread, wheat bread, whole grain bread, you know, multi grain bread, Ezekiel bread. Yeah, we got all kinds of bread out there. All we have to do is pick which one we want. It's a long process before it got to that point. They take these loaves. And they are loaves like we think of loaves of bread. They're puffed up. Why? Because they have living in them. Why on the first fruits festivals in the early part of the spring, why did God say absolutely no leaven? And then when Pentecost comes along, why did he say I want two loaves, leaven loaves of bread, and I want you to wave them before the Lord? Is all of a sudden in seven weeks, leaven no more, uh, no more a big deal? You've got to understand something. And Jesus paid for every sin on the cross at Passover. Amen? Amen? He himself is completely without sin. But he also knows that he still wants to give us sinners divine nature. Right. Two is the number of witness. This is the second first fruits harvest of the year. There are three all year long. The three major times where people were to come to Jerusalem. This is the second one. This is the one right in the middle. And there's these uh, chiasmus patterns in there. I do not have enough time to go over with you today. But I'd love to get out a nice big drawing board to show you some of these patterns. But today, it's just to say this was the second harvest. And this is the harvest of us. Right? right. This is our harvest. Yeah. This is when God... Why did God wait till the wheat came in? Because He said, this is the better crop. Mm. Over here, this is the base crop. And I was willing to... Uh, abase myself all the way down. Remember what Paul said? I've learned to be abased, right?
2, he said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God, uh, the Lord uh, to the glory of God the Father. But before he said that, he said he condescended to men of world state. Right? Well, I'm mixing it up. But anyway, he came down. And he gave us the idea that because he was so humble, he was highly exalted. And we're told by the apostles, if we'll humble ourselves before God, we will be exalted in due time. If you will go down, you will go up. Right? If you bite and scratch your way to the top, you're just going to get flicked off like an ant. But if you will go down into the ground, if you'll let yourself die and go down into the ground in, the, uh, in baptism in Jesus' name, He will resurrect you in a new life. And if you'll continue to live your life like that, I will go down on my knees in order to be exalted in Jesus Christ. Amen. This is not about making a big name for ourselves or anybody else. It's not about just selfishly grabbing what I can get. It's for the glory of God. This is all for the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Going back a little bit further into Exodus. That's, that's the one I was looking for earlier. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. It starts off like this. It says, the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. And I will write, I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest. So most of you know the story. When Moses went up there that first time, God gave him tablets of stone. He came down from the mountain, he broke the tablets of stone. Sometime later, he said, in Exodus 34, now I want you to go back up. Bring some stones with you this time. Bring some tablets with you. I'll, I'll still write on them, but I need you to bring them. Last time God provided his own tablets. Moses went up there. And it says, and be ready in the morning and come up in the morning into Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me at the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor the herds before them. I mean, he, he's got all kinds of stuff going on. It says, Moses hewed out two tables of stone and he went up there. And God gives us all kinds of commands. We see in, in verse 20. Three of that same chapter. Thrice in the year shall all your men, children, appear before the Lord, God, the God of Israel. You think it was important what God was saying? You think it was important to God that He was saying it to Moses? Yes. In fact, the passage we read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 16, it says the same stuff. Same stuff. Three times in a year, you're going to approach me. This is the second time. This is number two. This is the number of witness. There were seven feasts. That's the number of a complete cycle. But it was three times a year that these feasts happened. That's the number of divine completeness. God is completing His pattern. He always completes it in three stages. Always. And yet, it's something about that second one that stands in the middle. Or the one that stands on three on one side, three on the other side like the candelabra. And always points to Jesus Christ. It always points to what he's doing. Why did Pentecost stand alone? Why were there three feasts around Passover and three feasts in the seventh month? You know, why three in the first month, three in the seventh month, or somewhere in the middle? You only got just the one. What, what's the deal? Why? Do we, does anybody ask these questions? Is Pentecost just found in Acts chapter 2, verse 38? Or rather, Acts chapter 2, verse 
one and follow him. Everybody with me? Yeah. No, that's not. It's just the Gentile focus on 50. It's the Greek focus on the culmination of, you know, we don't think about all the work and all the growth and all the things that, but on that day of Pentecost, as we read, two wave loaves were to be brought before the Lord in Leviticus 7, 23, 17. Everybody with me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why? Because he's showing, I want to put my divine nature in something that is leavened. I came down in human flesh. And the flesh itself was the seed of David, according to Romans chapter 1. That the, the flesh itself still stunk, still had to take showers, right? Well, they didn't have showers, I guess. But anyway, had to get cleaned up, had to eat, had to sleep, had to do everything a human did, right? Yes. He did all that for us. And then he said, I want you to do all this for me. He's up uh, in our own linear thinking he's up in heaven looking down. All right, I'm going to come down. That's not really the way it happens, but we won't go into that. He's God, full of his own nature. He says, I will put my nature in a human body so that they can understand I want to put my nature in their human bodies. Come on, God is talking to people that have been abused by Satan. Hear me now. We've been abused to think we can't overcome our nature. We've been abused to think that we cannot succeed in this Christian walk. We've been abused by the lies of the devil that have told us it's too hard. Years and years ago, when I was doing a series of teachings on these various feasts, and I know this stuff puts people to sleep, but it's the day of Pentecost. It's the day of Shavuot. And so we have to talk about it. Alright? Because this is God's calendar, not man's calendar. Hallelujah. But after a series of lessons on the Feast of the Lord, one man approached me and said, it shouldn't be that hard. That's a lie from hell. It's not that hard. We give ourselves to God. We present our leavened loaf to God and say, fill me up because it's a free gift. Hallelujah. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. So he's telling us in Exodus Chapter 34, after we, we look down a few verses. And uh, verse 28 says, And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, if you read that verse alone, it makes it sound like Moses did it. But in verse 1, it says God did it. Okay? Everybody with me? Mm -hmm. The whole idea is Moses brought his own stones. Still with me? Verse 29, it came to pass... When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, that the two tables of testimony in Moses' hands, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. He went up there. He, that, this didn't happen the, the first time. The first time he came down, he didn't have a glowing face. But what he did is he had a supernatural set of God's own instructions that he immediately broke at the foot of the mountain. So he had to go back up there. And he came up there with his own stone. God wrote on that stone. He came down. And this time his face is shone, uh, shining. Sorry. Remember what happened the first time. The people said, we don't want to hear the voice of God. And they proved it. Because when they sent Moses up there. Well, God sent him up there. 
He was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. When he came down, they were already worshiping a golden calf. And the word of the law was broken immediately. When he goes back up there the second time, he comes down again with two tables of stone. And what the people say, we don't like that shiny stuff coming out of your face. Well, it doesn't really say that, but he had to cover up his face. He had to put a veil on his face because they didn't even like the fact that there was their leader in the presence of God because it means he's hearing the instructions of God. He's seeing the patterns of God. He's understanding things that we don't understand. And he's about to tell us stuff that we don't really want to live. But the whole idea is if you'll go into the thick darkness and not be afraid, God will show you him. This is not going to happen for everybody. And this is the reason why God is preaching harder today than I think he ever has. Because he's trying to wake people up. We're talking about that. He's trying to wake people up. He's trying to wake his church up saying, come on, it's the time of the end. we got to wake up and stop listening to the lies of the devil that says it's too hard. It's not too hard. Right. In fact, God is so merciful that he said, you go ahead and present your living loaf to me. Hallelujah. Praise God. So that we can have that shiny, glowing face people to see it. Some of them are not going to like it. Some of them will. I can't imagine that Joshua shied away from Moses' glowing face. Can you? No. Now here's the question. I've already asked it once tonight. Today, we'll ask it again. Anybody want more of Jesus? Amen. Amen. Anybody want more yes. of his thoughts? Jesus. And more of his emotions? Yes. More of his knowledge? More of his spirit? Yes. Well, this is what it's about. Does anybody want to give more glory to God with your life? Yes. Praise God. Does anybody want to not just have power for power's sake, but to shine God's power into the world in order for people to be saved yes. and the people to come to Him? Amen. Praise God. If you want that, then I'd like you to stand to your feet and come right up front here. We've been on this street corner for almost 40 years. Well, we're not here wasting our time. Listen, if you want this, then come on all the way up. Right. Nobody hanging back. If this is something you want to do, praise God. No peer pressure. If you don't want this, don't you worry about it. You can stay back. Nobody's going to judge you. I'm not going to send you a, a letter of dismissal. Okay? But if you want this thing and you want to be a part of this thing, you come all the way up. If you can join with your neighbor, if it's proper, holding their hand. If not, just lay a hand lightly on each other's shoulder. Praise God. And we are going to reach our arms out. And we're going to begin to bind some We're going to invite the Holy Ghost to begin to unify us like we have never been unified before. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, on this day of Shavuot, on this feast, of weeks on this day of Pentecost. Lord God, fill these 11 loaves with your glory and your power, Lord God, as we wave ourselves before you. Lord God, as we lift ourselves into your presence, Lord God, as we allow ourselves open before you, Lord God, remove everything that is not like you in our life. 
Oh Lord God, remove everything that is unpleasing to you, Lord Jesus. But Lord God, fill these living lovers. Lord God, keep washing us as we give ourselves to you, Lord God. Keep regenerating us as we give ourselves to you, Lord God. Keep renewing us by your Spirit today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, pray with your brother, pray with your sister. Hallelujah. Pray that the power of God begin to come upon us today. Hallelujah. Shine from our face when we begin to stand in the presence of the living God. Hallelujah. Lord God, help us to get the armor and unify us in the Holy Ghost. Unify us in the Spirit of God.
okay? Amen. That's just like the Lord, glory of God. He's going to work out all the other details. Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him again. Thank